Hey, everybody, it's Ryan Ripley. Wanted to get a new offering in front of you as soon as possible, evidence-based leadership. And so, as you all know, Todd Miller, myself, and Will Seeley, we're big on evidence-based management. We want to apply it to the leadership space. We all know that modern managers face complex challenges every day. You're juggling a lot of needs, your direct reports, your stakeholders, your customers, they all need constant attention. What we want to do is help you manage that. We want you to use information and data to make good decisions around all of these areas so that we're delivering the right thing at the right time for the right customer. And we know that we're doing that because we're using data and evidence to validate all the things that we're doing. And not only that, we're not just looking at value, but we're looking at our capabilities as an organization. Can we deliver on time? Can we innovate effectively? Do we have too much tech debt? Do we have too many things in process? Are we unable to deliver when the market demands that we do? We look at all of these things with evidence-based management. We merge that into a leadership uh, mindset and lens, and we enable you to make new and better decisions repeatedly based off of the data that you're collecting within your organization. It's exciting stuff. We hope you can join us. Visit agileforhumans.com forward slash EBL course. Join us in one of these offerings. We think you're going to love it. Hope you can join us. Use Agile for Humans, the number four to take another 15% off of this course. And uh, we can't wait to see you there. Agile for Humans is brought to you by Audible.com. Get one free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile. Over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player, including Scrum, The Art of Doing Twice the Work in Half the Time by Jeff Sutherland, and Crucial Conversations by Carrie Patterson. Visit www.audibletrial.com forward slash agile to enjoy your free audiobook today. Processes and tools dominate today's agile discussions, but we are devoted to the individuals and interactions that make it work. From the beginner to the veteran practitioner, we have something for you. Welcome to Agile for Humans. All right, welcome to this week's episode of Agile for Humans. I'm your host, Ryan Ripley. Joining me tonight, Mr. Amitai Schleier. Amitai, so great to talk to you again, buddy. How are you? Not bad. How are you? Hey, it's a day, and I'm podcasting. I'm happy. That's the stuff. Also joining us tonight, Natalie Warner. Natalie, it's a huge pleasure to have you on the show. Love your blog. Follow your work in the, in, on the conference scene. Uh, just super excited you joined us. How are you tonight? I'm good. We're staying up late for this. So Natalie, you do a ton of work in the Agile community, especially a lot of speaking, a lot of writing. Most recently, I saw at the Agile 2016, the big conference last year, that you were heading up uh, the Women in Agile discussion. I think it was a half-day event prior to the start of the conference. Can you give us a little information about that proceeding and, and how that came to be and just how it went? Sure. So... Historically, um, I can't take credit for you know the entire movement by any means. There's been a ton of people that have been involved. Um, when I got involved in it, it was uh, back in 2013 at a, a scrum gathering, and the topic came up in an open space. And a number of women there just got together and decided, hey, we want to actually talk about this a little bit more. From there, it kind of you know got legs. We started doing some some co blog posts. Um, got a lot of great help from people on that. Um, podcast started. So that's really helped it to grow. 
I personally was just very curious about the phenomena of not just women in technology, but specifically women in agile and just the trends that I was seeing. The main trend being that, hey, yeah, we have more men in technology, more men in agile. However, you know, proportionally, I'm seeing at conferences, yes, there are more men speaking and and being active in the community, but proportionally, um, it still doesn't seem to be the same proportions as the the community. And why is that? So um, I actually wrote my my master's thesis on the topic of how do we get women to be more involved within the agile and technology communities, and you know went through did a lot of research there, a lot of primary research with interviews and surveys within the agile community, and based on that I had talked to a number of people at the Agile Alliance and we wanted to get this pre-conference event going, and so last year was the the first year. We had an amazing keynote in um, Cindy Morse. She works at Salesforce, and she's a vice president there and isn't originally from the technology side, so had a really unique viewpoint on the women in, in Agile and kind of the journey they're going through at, at Salesforce that she talked about. I'm on that transformation team there, and that team was actually mostly women. And then what we what we did was, you know, kind of just made a forum for anybody that wanted to attend to you know, have a place to network and get to know each other as well as talk about common common issues um, and just kind of get that that momentum moving. Now, I think it was a it was a great success um, for the first year working on some new things for this this coming conference, Agile twenty seventeen. Um, currently, the proposal is in the works of um, hopefully getting approved um, by the Agile Alliance in the next few days. Here, I think they're meeting. But looking at really taking it to the next level. All right, now instead of you know more of the what I would call um, the inform theme for last year, um, now looking at more of an empower theme. Right. So how do we empower each other um, as as women and as members of the agile community to you know really become more involved? And in how can we um, help each other out? How can we um, ensure that we're not being exclusionary? Um, on any basis, you know, including men, um, you know, the, the problem of, of lower involvement really goes across so many different facets and it's certainly not a, um, women against men issue. And what I always like to say is it's really a, it's really everybody's issue and everyone's going to benefit from it as we continue to improve. The more women we have active in the community, the more diversity we have in the community from from any from any facet the more diverse ideas we're going to get and that's really going to benefit the the whole community kind of a quick rundown on you know women in agile where it's been and kind of where it's it's going um this year a lot of other fun things that i have in the works being planned for that make sure to to keep listening i can't necessarily disclose them all because still having the fingers crossed on getting that approved Perhaps when we get closer to the big conf and the and the plans solidify, maybe you can come back and highlight it and promote it and preview it for the audience. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Perfect. I'm really excited about it. So now that so you have a master's in this area, you did your work, uh, your thesis essentially on women in agile, women in technology. What is it about our community that has improved the ratio of participation? Well, so a couple things. You know, first of all. The reason that I really wanted to look at this in the first place was because I was noticing that 
the ratio didn't seem right. You know, I started really becoming more involved in the Agile community back 2012, 2013. And now looking forward, we're in 2017 and I've seen a great improvement. I'm hoping part of that's from some of the, you know, women in Agile work. You know, some of the other things that are different in the Agile community or in comparison to the technology community as a whole, um, you know, is really what we value in Agile. You know, we, we value a lot more of the interactionary things, the relationship-based things that stereotypically women are better at. But I think that that stereotype and that bias has really helped to open that door and made the barrier for entry lower, at least from a perception perspective. You know, I'll take myself, for example. I started out uh, my first job out of college. I was a coder. I was writing websites. And you know, didn't know very much about Agile at all and got a little bit inundated. My first project actually was an Agile project. It was one of those ones where we didn't call it Agile, but ended up understanding that was what it was and that I really liked that. You know, it was a little bit more on the the soft skills side, which, you know, not to say I was a, a bad coder. I mean, I wasn't amazing by any means, but that other arena that is not necessarily as prevalent in other technology careers that allows you to really, you know, work with with people a lot more, dealing with interactions and relationships. That's kind of what drew me in. You know, I'm an agile coach now and I really enjoy doing that. I think that's part of the reason that you know, we, we see those those different ratios. You know, on the other side of things, I haven't been overly present in the greater technology community for many years. But from things that I've read, the perception, I think, is that it's a little bit more hostile. And I feel like the Agile community is fairly inclusionary. It's it's a little bit tough to, you know, break into certain things as it in, is with any industry. But I feel like, again, the barriers to entry are a little bit lower than, than we see in other um, in other industries or even, you know, other facets of technology. But that's just my opinion. That wasn't exactly what my research was on. It was more around the the lines of, yes, even though, you know, maybe there's more women in Agile than there are in general technology, you know, why are those women that are already within the Agile community less involved than men? That was more of what the research was centered around. So... Interesting. So what is it about agile coaching for you that makes you get up in the morning excited to go into work and, and looking to, you know, meet the challenges of the day? It's kind of the unknown. Um, I never know what the problem is going to be. I don't necessarily know what situation I'm going to be in and that unknown is is exciting. You know, it's exciting to work with a number of different teams, learn about a lot of different products. Everyone has, you know, other teams have have kind of some of their unique challenges. Then they also have similar challenges across teams. And it's really being able to be a part of of helping them to get to those solutions, not just giving them the solution, but, you know, really that, that interactionary thing where you can see as you're talking to to teams, you can kind of see the light bulb come on after a while. And that's really exciting just with you know, hey, I've been working with this team for a while. I remember where they were back in, you know, May, and now it's, you know, now it's November, and I've seen just this drastic change, and that's that's really fun for me. So that's, yeah, basically, that's what gets me up in the morning. It's kind of the, the thrill of the unknown. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a thrill seeker, but I guess as I described it, it sounds a little more so. So you're not skydiving this weekend? Uh, no, I'm going to have a fairly quiet weekend in Wisconsin. We have Amitai and I on the show here with you. Clearly, you know, the women in Agile topic is one that, that we're both very interested in, and, and we really enjoy this conversation. 
I think a big question that, that at least I have, and, I, and I'm sure Amitai would have as well, is how can we be supportive of, of, this, of this movement that you're, you're spearheading and a big part of? You know, how can people like Amitai and I be helpful? You know, the big thing I would say is just, is just that, right? Lend support like you would to others. You know, there's there's Twitter conversations going. There's a hashtag women in agile. There's obviously, um, you know, the event that we talked about earlier. That's not a, a female exclusive event. Um, last year, there were about 10 percent there that were males. And that was awesome. Um, just getting inundated and hearing kind of the the different perspective that you don't necessarily think about. And, you know, that helps the other side, too, that helps women to hear, you know, to hear men's perspective on it. Just as far as, you know, just things that we haven't you know, that we haven't thought to, to have discussions about, you know, the other things, um, just speak up when, uh, you see a conference lineup that, you know, has all male keynotes or, you know, you're just not seeing a lot of diversity in there, encourage those, those conference organizers to, you know, diversify that so that we're getting a lot of different ideas, you know, on your, your boards at your local agile agile organizations, you know, encourage encourage people, encourage women, encourage um, everybody to become uh, a part of it. From being a board member or even just uh, asking questions, one of the things that came out, one of the biggest things I think that came out in my research, and it seems really simple, but I'll tell you a little story here. I was at a agile user group meeting and. We were doing kind of a fishbowl thing where, you know, folks were up on stage and answering questions and, you know, someone gets up and goes back to their seat and someone else comes and takes that seat. And at one point I realized, hey, you know what, there's all um, all five people up there are guys and there's about 30 percent, you know, women in this audience. Why aren't there more women up there? And then one of the things that someone had said to me that I had kind of also realized was extend that personal invitation. You know, just I went up to a couple women and I said, hey, um, there's a lot of a lot of guys up there. You know, I think you probably have something to contribute. You should go up there. You know, same thing if someone reaches out to you directly and says, "Hey, I think you should submit to this conference. I think you should be with me on this podcast." People are much more likely to do that. And so it's really extending that personal that personal invitation in a day where, you know, day and age where we we go further and further away from personal communication. So that's just a simple way that, you know, you can help to, to show support. And back to the theme I was talking about earlier, um, help empower those those people to become more involved and, and give them that support. I'll add to that a little bit. Uh, the, the idea of if you have a platform to share it, uh, that's something that I think is, is easy when we're talking in a podcast context. Uh, Ryan has certainly had a lot of women on, and you know, if he wanted to make a point of it, he could he could seek out more women on purpose. And I think to some extent he has. I could do the same. I have a, a podcast called Agile in Three Minutes that I have just begun having guest hosts on, and uh, I probably will make a point of looking to share it with women and uh, people of color, preferentially, just because it seems to be a platform that I now have, and I want to make sure that I do that. Uh, another thing that I do is periodically when I'm able to notice, I realize that I'm in kind of a self-reinforcing bubble, that the the kind of people that I spend time talking to tend to uh, connect me with the same kind of people that I spend talking to. <laughs> so if I, don't, if I don't take some effort to change who gets in, then I'll just get the same kind of stuff that I get. That's what social networks do. And so if you want a, a more variety of input in your social network, you have to seek it out. And so I try to notice every so often when I'm, when I'm not seeking it out and do something about it. And then one more idea, which I got from a combination of Troy McGinnis 
and uh, Kat Swatel is that uh, I know some people, if there isn't a code of conduct at a conference or a meetup, they won't go. And I can understand for some people why that's important. Uh, I don't have that problem, but I have started, thanks to Troy and Kat, that when I'm presenting at a meetup or a conference, whether or not there is a code of conduct in effect, I will highlight that fact either way in my mm-hmm. slides for like the first couple slides, just to say, here's where it is. Uh, here's a couple examples of what it says. Uh, I did this at Agile Testing Days, and I, I framed it in terms of examples and how you would test this. And maybe if you were to do some cucumber scenarios, and if you could automate it, that would be amazing, but forget about that. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, try to put it in context and then move on. But just illustrate that there is a code of conduct, and here's why that's important to some people, or there isn't a code of conduct in that case, and here's how that might affect you. For instance, that some people that you could learn from are not going to be here. So because I'm able to be a presenter sometimes, and because people listen to me sometimes, I've tried to be a little tiny bit more deliberate about what I do with the words that I'm allowed to say. Yeah, that's a great example. Um, Actually, um, I was talking to Linda Cook um, a few weeks ago about some of the ideas we had for, um, you know, the Women in Agile session this year and code of conduct and bringing it up and kind of sponsoring it, sponsoring the um, larger dissemination of it um, was an idea that came up. And so I'm really glad you reminded me of that. Um, Thank you. It is an interesting community that we have, especially when I think about the people that I I really look to and admire. And and it's, it's something that I haven't always put a lot of thought into, but Amitai just had Joanna Rothman on, on his podcast. She did a, a brilliant uh, Agile in Three Minutes on management, or on managers. And Joanna is one of my, my favorite Agilists. And when you think about who else is in that upper echelon of Agile coaches and trainers, you know, immediately comes to my Nestor Derby. You know, someone else who has been on this show who I absolutely think the world of and who's had a great impact on my Agile career along with Diana Larson with her, her wonderful books on retrospectives and liftoffs and or on liftoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's fascinating that this is a community where uh, the people at the top, that there is some diversity. And if you look at the Java community, the, the .NET community, I don't think they can boast the same advantages that we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we are, we are leaps and bounds ahead of um, other communities but you know, as we as we say in Agile, we're always looking to continuously improve. So certainly, that's that's what we're Amen. trying to do. <laughs> yep, continuous improvement is where it's at, and it's uh, it's great uh, to hear about the efforts that that you're you're leading, uh, Natalie. And I think it's a wonderful addition to our community, and very grateful that you're out there uh, working on this. Because you know, as we had Arlo Belshi on the show uh, a number of of months ago. I mean, it was very clear that from his hiring practices, he hires for empathy and for those those team skill sets. And you know, from if you if the listeners remember from that discussion, if we're hiring for empathy and skill set and the ability to learn as a second or as a as a primary with coding skills as a secondary, he would hire a team full of women. And and mm-hmm. he he made that very clear that that would be the highest performing team. And that kind of model. As agilists, we have these these necessary social skills. We have we have to have empathy for the people we're coaching because we're meeting them where they're at. We're trying to take them to a new place. We have to be, be respectful of where they're at and all these difficult things going on, especially with these you know the social networks of people and these these different uh, scenarios that we're putting them through. That you know these skills are important, and having the diversity in our community means we can meet those needs even better. 
And so I, I really do appreciate the work you're doing in this space, Natalie. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I think it's I think it's necessary. And I, I love that there's so much enthusiasm for it. And like I said, I definitely cannot take all the credit for it. Um, there's a lot of other other very smart men and women that are, you know, helping on the on the back end at these events. So if you're interested in getting involved, um, we're always looking for, you know, more people and trying to grow this been growing very organically, trying to get a little more structure around it. So it's um, a little bit more of a repeatable process if people want to try and form um, that community, you know, at a, a smaller level within their own, their own areas, getting some, um, you know, some <laughs> documentation, if you will, but some, some things out there to help you start so that you don't feel like you're starting from, from zero. One thing that I know is on the mind of every person who is facing a decision, do I go to the extra trouble to represent, you know, my underrepresented group or do I not? One thing that's always going through those people's heads, and I'm sure it has been true for you as well, Natalie, is am I going to get pigeonholed that this is my topic? Or are people hmm. going to still listen to me about the things other than that that brought me into this field in the first place? And so I want to make sure that we talk about some of those other things. Yeah, definitely. Oh, certainly. And actually, I was going to move into, uh, Natalie does a lot of speaking. And I think one of the areas where where she's shown a lot of expertise and has done a lot of speaking on is value mapping. And so, Natalie, this is an area that I'm certainly not as fluent as you are. And I was wondering if you could give the listeners an overview of value mapping and perhaps some of the, the applications, especially on, you know, perhaps product road mapping and, and other areas like that. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, when I talk about about value, it's really important to understand the context in which we're using the word value in. And if you actually look it up in the dictionary, and this is on a number of my slides, value is either a verb or a noun. And so the way that I relate that is if we're using value as a verb, right, I value something at a certain amount, I value this feature at X number of dollars, we're really looking at it from a business-centric perspective as far as, hey, what's the ROI that's coming in or what's the cost savings that I'm going to get? And that's an important thing to do. It's absolutely necessary for us in business. You know, thinking startups, we need to have our um, our cash flow moving and, and obviously larger companies, we need to be making money. However, now if we look at it from the other side of the coin and we're looking at value as a noun, value is a thing, that is how our customers tend to see value, right? What, you know, what is this, this thing, this value that this feature or um, enhancement or whatever it is is going to bring to me? And so I kind of do some, some comparison and contrasting um, in a pretty active exercise and say, first, you know, let's look at this, this list of, of features. And I actually have, you know, cards with features that I've, I've made up and I kind of tailor to depending on... Um, you know, what, what my audience is. So if it's, you know, at a client, um, I'll put together cards for, you know, different features that they could be working on or are on their roadmap. And then say, let's organize these based on, um, you know, value from a business perspective. How much money is this going to make or save us? And then we kind of turn the tables and say, okay, now think about it from a customer perspective. And what are, what's our customer seeing this as? And for that, I use um, a Kano analysis diagram. And so if you're not familiar with, with Kano analysis, it really looks at kind of a, a product life cycle and, you know, what are the new delighter features, the exciting ones that, um, you know, are, are 
really putting us ahead of the market? What are the performance features, the things that are, um, you know, becoming more commonplace, they're becoming more expected? And then what are the the basic needs features? Those are the ones that aren't super sexy, but you know what, if we don't meet those basic needs, we're not going to get people in for those delightful features that are going to make us that money. And that really ties the two together as far as, you know, what kind of revenue do we see? Where do we feel like we could bring in? And, um, you know, what customer needs are we, we actually meeting here from the customer perspective? And so the, the big thing that I like to talk about there with road mapping is ensuring that, hey, our roadmap needs to have a mix of all these things. Um, you know, if we're doing a ton of new features and we're turning into that feature factory, right, we're probably also accumulating a lot of technical debt. And the one thing I say with that is, you know, customers won't notice necessarily when you pay down your technical debt, but they will notice if you don't. That's kind of a, a hole that we get into quite frequently when we're trying to put all this new stuff out. We're creating these piles of debt and we need to go back and look at it. And then the other thing we need to keep an eye on is obviously we're going to make strategic decisions about which new features we are going to put into our products. And we need to keep an eye on the ones that we decide not to put in because over time, if we make some some wrong decisions or just you know some some strategic decisions that don't include certain things, if those move down into the performance feature category, the ones that are starting to be more accepted that maybe we didn't hit the mark on, we're probably going to have to take another look back and figure out, do we need to build this in now? It might not be at the the head of the market, but is this something that people are starting to expect? Um, so you know, I have a number of, of examples in the presentation around, um, you know, those types of things and how those have affected companies that I've worked with. And so that's kind of how, how I look at the problem and, and how I look at, you know, road mapping and understanding what's the mix of, of different, um, different types of work that we're putting into our roadmap, we're planning into our releases, we're planning into our sprints. Um, and that actually brings me um, a little bit into the discussion that Ryan and I were having earlier around, you know, capacity versus velocity. Oh, so you want to start that fight? I mean, we, we can, <laughs> if you have other questions about value mapping, but I was like, Oh, I see an opening here. Yeah. So I'm pretty we sure capacity and velocity are the same thing though. Right. <laughs> okay. I'm a times on my I side. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> I've been planted here to ask dumb questions. It's going really well. <laughs> no questions. A dumb question. Not at all. So Natalie, so Natalie, she blogs at nataliewarnert.com, and uh, it's a blog that I follow. I really enjoy it. She posted an article called Capacity versus Velocity. And so one of the key arguments is that uh, velocity and capacity are not the same thing, which I found uh, intriguing. And I'm wondering, Natalie, if you can help educate me, because clearly I'm missing something. that Because uh, I've always thought that <laughs> velocity was really just a capacity measurement. So what have I missed? And actually, what has Amitai missed too? And, uh, <laughs> and how should we really be looking at this? I'm really big on precise wording. So I, I try, you know, you maybe will notice, you know, as I said before, I looked up value um, in the dictionary. Um, I have not looked up velocity because that's going to probably not give me the agile definition. But velocity is, yes, a factor of a team's capacity. Um, however, I think that in a lot of, a lot of organizations I've seen, some people see velocity as one thing and other people see it as another. 
So some people see velocity as a synonym for capacity. Some people see velocity as something else. Um, and the argument I'm really making is, honestly, I don't care what word you use for describing that, um, but make sure you understand how other people are interpreting that word. So what I really talk about in the post is that um, sometimes velocity is talked about as um, the amount of new feature work that we can get done within a sprint. And that's fine, but if we're using that as a synonym for capacity and we're not looking at only new feature work, and this goes into, I don't want to get into this, but this goes into do we estimate defects, do we estimate you know spikes, those types of things. That, that directly ties into that conversation. But the thing that I want to avoid is having a product owner say, okay, our velocity is 20. Therefore, when I am starting drawing out a rough release plan, and I'm not advocating that the team is not involved, but sometimes that's how it happens. When I'm drawing out this rough release plan, I'm going to put 20 points in each sprint because our velocity is 20. Well, if we look back at what was actually in those those sprints that we got to 20-ish, right, that, that velocity range, well, some of it was new features, some of it was defects, some of it was technical debt. So if I'm planning in 20 points of new feature work each sprint, I'm not accounting for those other things that are inevitably going to be in that sprint. Therefore, I am going to overcommit for a sprint or for a release. Now, again, this is talking in general generalities that maybe my product owner is forecasting for my team and isn't involving my team. Um, and I know that absolutely never happens, but just in case it does, <laughs> happens this a lot. is the conversation that we want to have. And so, like I said, I don't really care what we call it, but let's make sure we're first of all speaking the same language. And second of all, make sure that we have an understanding of the things that make up our sprints. Just like I was talking about before, make sure we have an understanding of the things that make up our roadmap and making sure that, you know, there's there's an appropriate balance for those things and that we're not overcommitting one type of work because we don't understand what's actually, you know, what's actually behind the number. Sometimes we get so caught up in that number that we don't end up understanding it anymore. I think the framework you've laid out here and, and what a, the equation that you used that sums it up was uh, sprint work or in other words, capacity equals new features, or in other words, velocity, plus tech debt, plus defects, plus overhead, plus unknown. And I think mm -hmm. the good thing that that does is that it brings visibility into the type of work that the team is being asked to perform. And it's not always clear or apparent that tech debt, defects, overhead, and just the unknown things like appointments, vacations, other things are going to cut into uh, capacity. I love the distinction that you're making that uh, there are different types of work. Yeah, and I think that really goes into, I said I didn't want to get into the discussion, but I'll just state it once more. It goes into the fact that some teams don't estimate technical debt, some teams don't estimate defects or overhead, then yes, your velocity probably is your capacity if you're only estimating you know, what your new feature work is. Um, and then the other things are just there and maybe those are our account or something instead of um, actually having story points on them. However, if you're estimating everything, which some teams do, um, you know, then you really need to have that distinction as to, to what's in there um, from a, you know, percentage perspective, points perspective, so you can accurately, as accurate as, you know, <laughs> as, as you can be with estimating, um, forecast. 
So as, as I'm thinking through this, if I have a team that can, and first of all, listeners know that story points are not a, a great, uh, or we're not big fans of story points on the Agile for Humans podcast, but if you are using <laughs> them, which, and I think a lot of teams use them as a, an entry point to Agile estimation and planning. And I think that's, that's important. It's important to get a feel for how that works. Uh, eventually. It's important to have the conversation. Absolutely. Is what I say. Well, and if you, if your business partners and your product owners want to work in that manner, uh, that's part of collaboration too. And so I think mm-hmm. it's important to, to always meet the needs of, of those that, 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 that you're serving or as a team to meet the needs of those who are writing the check. You know, that's, that's always important. Mm-hmm. So with that said though, if, if you see capacity as let's say the team in your example has 20 velocity or 20 story points of capacity, mm-hmm. um, that will, that capacity will be chewed up by all of the various different types of product backlog items, which include features, bugs or defects uh, and all of those other things. And so mm-hmm. that's, I think where I get lost with the terminology which is really probably more of a semantical argument than anything, is that if, if we have 20 story points, it really doesn't matter what kind of work it is. There's 20 story points worth of capacity, and that's all that's really going to get done during the sprint. Yes. So. Yes. And so um, I'll try and, try and rephrase what I was saying before. The issue that I was running into with that, with you know calling it capacity or velocity, was my product owner saw 20 and said, okay, I'm planning out 20 points of new feature work for each sprint in the release. And that didn't take into account the other things that, you know, made up those 20 because they just saw 20 and said, all right, 20 is my number I can forecast on. Well, and let a, what I like about the way that you've laid it out for the product owner, I think part of it is just coaching the product owner about all of the different yes. types of product backlog items. Uh, but, mm-hmm. but I also think the more interesting coaching conversation, and uh, you actually pulled some some graphs from uh, a good friend of the show, Aaron Copel, and showed mm-hmm. technical debt, uh, defects, and overhead chew into velocity. And I think that's also a yep. very important discussion. Because a lot of teams will also run into the situation where a product owner will say, well, why would I invest in technical debt? I have these 10 features that will make us money. And what the, the discussion try what you typically you try to bring it back around to if you don't address a technical debt you won't get these 10 features you know when you think you're forecasting it out it'll actually be uh, further out because we can't deliver software sooner because these things are blocking us and and that's always an interesting conversation what i like is that you're making it very explicit that these things Mm -hmm. will impact velocity these are all factors of velocity and and for that i i think it's just a wonderful article uh, aside from a, a semantical semantical argument that (laughs) <laughs> you know, coaches like us should really only have over drinks and, and after a long day at a conference. So. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's, that's really important is yeah. Being able to visualize how this stuff affects us. And I think um, a lot of times when we, we don't actually see those visuals. Yeah. We end up in the the place where, yeah, we have too much technical debt and why can't we deliver this stuff faster? Well, it's because we're not doing this or, you know, why is my velocity going down? Well, it's because of this or this. Metrics in a microcosm, right? Like there, there's a number that we decided to track. There's a picture we decided that we're going to pay attention to. And then all the other things we could track or pay attention to are not on our radar at all. And mm-hmm. the number in the picture get interpreted individually by every person that ever sees them. Yeah. Well, that reminds me of a metrics talk I did a couple of years ago when we talked about uh, metrics need to have an end date. Because if we get so inundated with a certain metric, we're going to become blind to 
you know, a lot of other things, we're only going to focus on that one thing. And then there's going to be a lot of, a lot of things that are going to creep up on us. And so, you know, making sure that, that we're keeping our, uh, peripheral vision, um, sharp. Well, they say what gets measured gets managed, but I think what people forget is that the people being measured are managing that metric too. Absolutely. Every metric can be Mm -hmm. gamed and every metric will be gamed. Um, it's not, you know, behaviors will change toward that metric and it's not necessarily malicious. It's just, that's, that's the way that we behave. And so, and so I'm not quite on, yeah. on Woody Zool's level, but I have a little aphorism about that that I've really distilled down to my favorite form, which mm-hmm. is careful what you measure because you'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wrote a blog post um, a few years ago about one of my teams and um, it was this was a very positive interaction, but um, we were in sprint planning and they said, oh, well, wait, we should break this story down smaller because then our burn down will go faster and they kind of looked at me like, ha-ha. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> you do that. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. So where else are you finding that the teams struggle with this concept, Natalie? You've got a lot of experience in the field, especially t- having these talks around estimation, uh, metrics, velocity, capacity. You know, Where are some of the, the pitfalls that uh, other coaches uh, can look out for? I'm not going to say that I'm in, you know strongly in either one of the camps for, for estimating or no estimates. It's what works best <laughs> at the time the for the team. But I was going to say that's, that's something that teams have a really hard time with. Um, that's something that's really hard to train on is the idea of, of looking at work, even if it's a relative number, trying to assign it to that based on so many things such as capacity or excuse me, not capacity, um, complexity and, effort and all those things that's that's something that teams have a really hard time with more often than not they still end up converting those numbers back to hours and days and things that make sense to them that that's always a little bit difficult you know regardless of the way that you you think of it um i really just like honestly going to to counts of things say hey all right we got three bugs in this sprint we're going to try and do three bugs every sprint and, you know, that's that's what we're going to do. And I'm going to assume that over time, those are going to average out to be about the same size. And people don't don't seem to like that, but I like it. You know, we, we have we have discussions around around that and what you know, what, what's actually the outcome that we're looking for here. And if we're spending so much time trying to get to the quote right answer, then we're probably already wrong. That's you know, that's one of the, the arguments I'm sure a lot of coaches can empathize with, you know, otherwise just really around making sure um, at a higher level that leadership is is understanding of what some of these these metrics mean and you know going back to our metrics conversation right why do you want to measure what you're measuring what improvements are we looking to get and ultimately you know what outcome are you trying to get um, I had a conversation I've, I've had a conversation, I've had a number of conversations around output, you know, saying, you know, I don't really care how much output we're doing. We can do more, we can do less, but are we meeting the outcome? And just talking about, about goals around that. And I think that's, that's a really hard concept too, for um, a lot of people who are really focused on, on numbers and that, that throughput when we're not actually looking back at, you know, what is the outcome we're trying to get, bringing that back to our customer value as well as our business value, um, and it really becomes a, a big cyclical cyclical thing. And a lot of these things, obviously, as, as we know, tie very closely together. I think at this point, we, we've settled the, 
we've settled the velocity versus capacity uh, discussion. So I no fight broke out there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the estimate one, perhaps we'll pick that one up another time. But uh, <laughs> I think you should have Woody on to talk about that. Oh, we have Woody's been on oh, okay. uh, a number of times, as has Neil Killick, Bosco Duarte. Yeah. Yeah. The, oh, yep. I've I've talked to Vasco before and Woody, obviously too. You know, don't put me against them. I don't want to get into an argument either. No, no, no. And, and you know what? We actually, but um, we just had Steve McConnell on, <laughs> who's on the opposite end yes. of no estimate. Mm-hmm. Uh, Steve McConnell. I think you're probably familiar with him. He wrote software estimation, demystifying the black art. Oh, yep. And so he's hardcore estimation, and came on and made really good points. And so. Mm-hmm. For me, it's just, can we just simplify it down to counting cards, measuring throughput, looking at cycle time, and make adjustments? And then, yeah, and and then forecast <laughs> off that? That's something that I also, love. Can I, we... Oh, I was just going to say, I into a lot of my Agile trainings, um, you know, obviously I'm training Scrum and I'm training, you know, those concepts, but I also try and very heavily integrate lean concepts and talking about, you know, those different metrics, cycle time, throughput... Honestly, I never thought I would say this, but I referenced the goal more than I ever thought I would. Mm-hmm. I had to read it in undergrad. I had to read it in grad school. And really? both times I'm like, yeah, this is okay. And now I'm like, hey, you should read this. Like, this is a this is a good book to understand the theory of constraints, understand throughput. This is coming from manufacturing, but hey, we can really apply it to software. That's super oh, cool. Yeah. Like, it's part of an undergraduate program, part of a graduate program. Is that common? I, I don't know. Um, my undergrad, um, my undergrad, I had a BBA in a master, a, a major in information systems, but that was in an ops management class that I took. And then um, grad school, it was in an accounting class that I took. So I was That's surprised awesome. to see it again. But I, yeah, I mean, it's it's a uh, it stood the test of time. Should I admit Eli Goldratt is a smart guy? Should I admit that I've never read the goal? Dude, oh, you, you have to read, read it. it. That is the book that I felt like I could see the Matrix. Right. It was awesome. I'll get and it. I mean, it's not the, hard the, to read. The storyline is is kind of corny. I mean, it's a story. Um, yeah. It's a little bit corny, but it it does a really good job of explaining the concepts. As you know, as a lot of people know, people hold on to stories. They they remember stories. They don't necessarily remember. Hey, here's uh, two pages on the theory of constraints and bottlenecks and whatever. I will. Um, yeah, you'll have to. You'll have to let us know what you think of Herbie. Okay. <laughs> well, that means you'll have to come back on and talk through it. Absolutely, absolutely. So. It's a it's a great book. So, Natalie, at this point of the show, because I know uh, we're keeping you up and uh, don't want to don't want to go too far over the time box. So, at, during this part of the show, we welcome our guest to promote anything they have going on, any any books, any. Any talks coming up? Any websites? Any blog posts? How they can? How people can reach you if you want to open yourself up to Twitter conversations or anything like that? So the floor is yours. Promote away. All right. Well, I think the biggest one is um, I hope to see many people at the Women in Agile event at um, Agile 2017. Pretty confident that that will be approved. Looking at the Sunday before the conference, um, I believe August 6th, Sunday, August 6th in Orlando, Florida. That will be there. It's most likely going to be for most of the afternoon and looking to get some some really good keynotes. I have one in mind right now that she's outside of the Agile community and it um, should be really interesting. It's a lot about empowerment and um, some really neat women in STEM things. And then obviously we'll have some some folks from our, our near and dear community 
as well. Um, otherwise, for me, let's see, I will be at Agile and Beyond talking about value mapping in early May up in Ann Arbor. Um, I will be at Agile Indie, um, hopefully doing a little bit of women in Agile stuff there. Um, that's the second Friday in May. You know, hopefully we'll, I'll definitely be at Agile 2017. You know, contact me. I'm on Twitter. My handle is at Natalie Warnert. I also have, um, as Ryan mentioned, I have my, my blog site. That's NatalieWarnert.com. Um, feel free to, to comment. No books yet um, percolating on some topics. So if you have anything you think I should write about, feel free to, to share it. Otherwise, yeah, just, you know, go out and, you know, help to empower others, extend that personal invitation and, you know, really challenge yourself to think about, hey, what can I do to help make the Agile community better um, and help get more people involved in the Agile community so that we have more ideas flowing and, and more ideas to share. Very good. Thank you. Amitai, what have you got going on? Uh, well, I got a few things. One is called Agile and Beyond, which I heard is really cool from someone named Natalie Warnert. Uh, I will be there as well with a workshop called The Best Team Anywhere, Distributed Agile Trade-Offs and Techniques, focused on remote pairing and mobbing, other technical stuff. Uh, I will also be at the second Agile Alliance Technical Conference with a DevOps-themed workshop. And uh, also, now that I live in New York, it will be very easy for me to go to Agile Coach Camp in New York. And I recommend that for anyone who is coaching or is interested in coaching, uh, you learn a lot real fast because it's an open space. But none of that is super important. What is super important is after over a year hiatus, Agile in Three Minutes is back. And season three, as Ryan mentioned uh, earlier in the show, begins with Johanna Rothman talking about, uh, well, the title of the episode is Manage. So take a listen, share your feedback with Johanna and or me. And I would love if you have someone in mind that you would like to hear three minutes from, let me know who that is. That's it. Thank you. I do have to say that episode with Johanna is amazing. If you have, or if you're working with a, a manager new to Agile, it's the probably the most important three minutes they can listen to. Uh, Johanna has just masterfully laid out uh, what a manager does on an Agile team, uh, the different types of management on an Agile team. And it, it really is one of those quick bursts of just amazing wisdom and insight that she lays down that can really help uh, bring clarity to those who are struggling with this new role. So really brilliant work there, Amitai. Yeah, I got lucky having someone do brilliant work. Yes. <laughs> well, you extended the invitation and Johanna, as always, came back with uh, something really powerful. So that's it was really good. So really appreciate you putting that out there. As for me, I'm on Twitter at Ryan Ripley. Uh, I will be at uh, Agile Coach Camp, like Amitai mentioned. So heading out to New York and we'll certainly check that out. have a few proposals out there for speaking right now. I will be at uh, ADC West, the TechWell event, out in Las Vegas in June, 4th through the 9th. I am uh, presenting on the No Estimates movement, and I'm also doing a half-day workshop on Advanced Scrum, answering the questions that come after the two-day course. And so would love to see all the listeners out there. Uh, come on out to Agile Dev West. I'll also be heading over to Agile Indy. I never miss an Agile Indy. Uh, unless I'm having a child, or I should say my wife's <laughs> having a child. So last last year I had to miss it, but uh, this year I will be back. Uh, also planning on making a trip over to Columbus, Ohio for Path to Agility. Uh, Faye Thompson and the great people at CareWorks have, uh, have put together another uh, great event and always look forward to heading over to Columbus at the Ohio State University to see Faye 
and the CareWorks crew and what they've put together. Other than that, there might be a few other stops along the way, but uh, we'll keep everyone up to date. The website's ryanripley.com. Questions, comments, feedback, general opinions, always welcome. Would love to hear from you, the listener. And uh, I think that's all I've got. So Amitai, Natalie, uh, great conversation. Natalie, I hope you join us for many more of these. Uh, really enjoyed uh, getting to bounce a few ideas off of you. And sorry for keeping you up so late. No worries. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yep, anytime. You have an open invite. So if you see us online recording, feel free to pop in. Amitai, great getting to catch up with you. Uh, real excited about your move to New York and all the great things coming your way. And uh, so thanks for sharing time with us. And to the listener, I love it that you're here. The numbers keep going up. The downloads are skyrocketing. I'm just so humbled and grateful that you guys are sharing the show, enjoying the show, sharing your feedback on Twitter. It just, uh, it's really great to see that. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And everyone, have a great night. Thanks for listening to Agile for Humans. Let's keep the conversation going. Drop us a question on Twitter at Agile for Humans or visit agileforhumans.com. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and scrum on.